Praise God. Hallelujah. We're reading two portions of scripture this morning, starting with 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And then we're going to the Old Testament and we'll read from the book of Daniel. We have been observing 14 days of prayer and fasting. This is our 14 days of prayer and fasting convocation our gathering together, and it has been a blast. Today is day number seven, and we will be meeting 16 to 18 hours for prayer. In case you've been missing, this is your opportunity. We've been meeting for 90 minutes every single day up to Friday. Then the weekends, we... Um, increase the time a bit because we do have more time, two hours in the presence of God, and we are letting you go right on the dot to be able to get home. And it has been incredibly powerful. You want to be there this evening for day number seven. Tomorrow we'll continue uh, at 17.30, day number eight, and we will only be concluding on Sunday, which will be day number 14. Sunday is when we will conclude next week. So we carry on. We are halfway through. Praise God. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I, I can see... Waka uh, Pindula smiling behind that mask because that's the scripture he was quoting here as uh, he was leading us with his powerful choir team. Hallelujah. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Take note of that. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit, capital S, of the Lord is there is freedom or liberty. Verse number 18. And we, who with unveiled faces, that's a powerful verse to read when we've known what it's like to wear masks. (laughs) We with unmasked faces. We with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. Then there is a qualification there. It quali- the whole thing is qualified from the Lord. And then it says, who is the Spirit? Capital S. So we're learning something about the Lord here with some very strong emphasis on the Spirit, the person of the Spirit, capital S. Very important. Please keep that in mind. We'll be coming back to this portion of Scripture. Let's go to the companion passage in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Thank you, Jesus. 
In the first year of Darius, son of Zex, where the guy who used to say, kss, kss. <laughs> you, that's not how you read that. <laughs> I think he was one of my cousins from up north. Uh, no, no, that, no. There is royalty because my queen comes from there. So, no, it was from the north. All right, let's, let's, let's forget that. Let's read this. In the year of Darius, son of Zex, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler of the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And you understand from the teaching we did last week, uh, when we talk about prayer and fasting, sackcloth, you understand what that uh, is dealing with. That was the traditional um, way of um, presenting oneself during moments of, of um, seeking the Lord and fasting. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. Verse number five, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. This is Daniel speaking very, very frankly. He says, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. Verse number six, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. The Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to come into your house. Thank you for your presence here. We celebrate the fact that you're smiling over us as your people, and we are grateful. So we ask humbly that as you bring your word, you would grant us the sensitivity by the power of the Holy Spirit to grasp the things that you're saying. And Lord, we will be careful to kneel humbly at your feet, and we will thank you for using us. We pray and ask for these mercies through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen. Praise God. You may kindly be seated. And if there is peradventure, just one bit of space so that our uh, ushers can bring in one or two people, please uh, make sure that that space is uh, identifiable. Uh, you can even call out to the usher in case they can't spot it so they can bring someone. Our message today from the Lord is entitled 
achieving spiritual formation. Achieving spiritual formation. And there's a slightly very potent word I've used, which I don't want you to worry about yet, but we will explain it. So achieving spiritual formation and precision through prayer. Achieving spiritual formation and precision through prayer. In case you're wondering, what, what is God saying today? Exactly that. Achieving spiritual formation and precision through prayer. So I've been seeking the Lord this past week. The fact that we are in a season of prayer, I sense the Lord guiding that we speak in this area and some very amazing truths that he has brought our way. So I'm very delighted to be able to share today. Let us commence with some definitions. And there are two terms that I have to define right early in our discussion. In the context of Christian, um, in, the, in the context of Christianity, that is, in the Christian context, the use of the term spiritual formation is very, very deliberate. Now, this term spiritual formation is not exclusive to Christianity. There are many other religions that use it. And in their context, it might mean many different things. So I have to qualify this and tell you that in the Christian context, spiritual formation is a process, is my understanding, is a process of spiritual growth, meaning to grow spiritually. It's a process of spiritual growth. It's a process of maturity in Christ. So there are people who might spend years, so to say, serving Christ or claiming to be born again and so on, but they may not really be growing. It means that they are stunted. It means that this process of spiritual formation isn't really taking root, isn't being achieved. Which means there must be a place for making this a goal and desiring to grow spiritually. And during a season like this when we are praying, I need to share with you how prayer plays a role in forming someone's character spiritually. So this is the process of spiritual growth and maturity in Christ. The word formation in this case is understood as being and I quote an organic lifelong holistic process. Organic meaning you, you, you don't, it's, it's happening sort of naturally. 
And if you will, then it's happening spiritually, naturally. It's happening as it is meant to happen. It's unadulterated. It's clean. It's clear. It's like the fresh vegetables that you enjoy because they are grown right behind your backyard and you do not have to use um, refined or manufactured uh, fertilizers, meaning the stuff that's made in the factory, but you're using natural means, manure and, and the like. Uh, and so you say, this is organic. It's growing naturally as it is meant to be. As it is designed to happen. So formation suggests this organic, lifelong, holistic process involving right thinking, right behaviors, right feelings of individuals and communities. It's very important in all that we have to do today. Therefore, my understanding, biblically, is that spiritual formation is the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and for the sake of others. All those words are very carefully chosen. And they are instructive and directive. And this is what we get in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 to 18. Somebody really insightful at um, um, at a very, very outstanding seminary coined these words this way and I, I love them. process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and for the sake of others. Therefore, spiritual formation is rightly called spiritual formation because it is founded on the deep work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. That is why I wanted us to take note of verse 17. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. The plant can send its roots down. The roots find the nutrients naturally in the soil that's provided, as God has provided those nutrients, in that environment, in the spirit world, is created for God's children by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates that environment where God's children can send their roots 
down. They can reach out and they can receive. And that when he is liberally present and free to operate, God's children get the sense of liberty to go deeper, to go higher, to get involved, to belong and not to detach. And so when people feel the pull to detach, to, to pull away, to go away, to not get involved, something else is at play. Because when the Holy Spirit is at play, there is a sense of pulling you in and bringing you to the place where others are, bringing you to the place where God is at work. And I must announce to you here, God is at work in this location. God, not me the assembly of God. Hello, testing. Okay. <laughs> All right. He tried to dim that one. I'll go back. The thought is still very fresh. <laughs> I was saying we're not just this, this gathering of people who have found nothing else to do on a Sunday morning. So we want to come and hibernate somewhere here in the church and cry over each other's shoulder. That's not who we are. We are a people of purpose. We are gathered here today because God says we must gather. We are gathered here today because we understand our very lives depend on what's happening here this morning. We are gathered here today because we understand that we are a people of destiny. And here where we gather, God's Holy Spirit is at work and we are sending our roots down to grow. There is spiritual formation taking place. It is founded upon the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the, of the believer. That's what spiritual formation is. I need to define the term precision. I've used this before in some teachings. From the dictionary, precision is described as the quality or condition or fact of being exact and accurate. Quality, condition, or fact of being exact and accurate. Any child of God attaining or possessing these dual qualities I've just described. A combination of spiritual formation and precision, I must tell you, will have notable impact in society. Notable impact. And today I want us to learn how this powerful combination can only be achieved through prayer. There may be additives here and there. But the first place of call 
for achieving this is through prayer. So we're going to go to two places and look at two lives that demonstrate this dual principle, this combination. One in the New Testament, we look at the life of Paul and look at some lessons on spiritual formation and precision in the life of Paul. Then we will go into the Old Testament and look at the life of Daniel. So come with me to our main passage, the first main passage, which is 2 Corinthians chapter number three. And we read verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is Paul writing. He's writing from serious levels of experience. And he says, And we, who with unveiled faces, faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness. Into his likeness. That's Christ's likeness. With ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. But the Lord is the Spirit, capital S, very powerful. How did Paul come to this kind of conclusion, at least on this set of principles in life? We have to trace his life. So let's go back in the book of Acts and encounter Paul in a few um, places of his personal experience with God. We begin on the Damascus Road. And on that Damascus Road in Acts chapter number nine, my reading is that the Damascus Road encounter is the beginning, if you will, it's the trigger. It's the trigger. Trigger is that thing that they pull when they pull that thing, the mechanism is such that the thing that is called the bullet that is inside the gun gets pushed out at a velocity that it's created to go at, depending on the caliber power of, um, of, uh, of that particular gun. And if it hits the target, it's fatal the human being, or there are many things that happen. The Damascus Road encounter for me is a trigger. It's the beginning of a lifelong holistic transformation for the life of Paul. And here's why. In Acts chapter 9, the Bible says, at the very beginning. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priests and asked for letters 
to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, meaning if they were believers, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So here is a man we find as a persecutor. As he neared Damascus on his journey to go and arrest Christians so that they could be placed in prison for no other reason than the fact that they were worshiping Christ. They were people of the way. On his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, So, so, why do you persecute me? Try reading that in the King James Version. You will find that you need to come back to something called English. Because it's, why, why dost thou persecutest me? Some, persec some word persecuted written with a D and the S somewhere in between. And he answered in verse 5, Who are you, Lord? So asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up. The game has changed. He's told, now get up and go into the city and it will be, you will be told what you must do. The arrestor is under arrest. Because a higher power is at play now. He has been captured by the power of God. So in verse 5, he asks, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So get up. Now get up. Go into the city and you will be told, what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. As they say today, maules. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. I'm telling you, this is an environment where the Spirit of God is at work. You will hear some things sometimes. You will sense some things sometimes and wonder what's happening. But the depth of the work of God will always supersede human understanding and human undertakings. And I stand here to prophesy to you that you do not need to see or understand what's going on around you. When God is determined to do a work in your life, He will do it in spite of what's surrounding you. He will do it in spite of what's not happening. He will do it in spite of what people have done against you. God is God and He has a way of doing His work in the lives of His people. Stood there speechless. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. The arrester is now blind. He could see nothing. So they led him by hand. <laughs> this is serious. They led him by hand into Damascus. 
For three days, he was blind. And he's forced to fast. From day one. And he did not eat or drink anything. Fast into fasting. Hallelujah. I want us to observe something there. When you look at what's happening here, you can see that from verses 1 to 9, this Damascus Road encounter is indeed the beginning of a lifelong holistic transformation of this man called Saul, who later, as you know, became Paul, the apostle now responsible for two-thirds of the writings, the letters of the New Testament, more than any other person. Because he was a man on assignment. So when you encounter Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and he's writing about Moses and the experience of Moses, in the wilderness, the reality is that Paul himself had his own encounter of spiritual formation. Something serious had begun to happen in his life that formed his life. And organically, naturally, that growth began to happen. But this is to do with the reality of the new covenant in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you hear his words in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, you must understand what he's talking about. When he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves. He had no option. He had been told, now get up. He was down there, get up, blind, unable to eat for three days, arrested and given an opportunity to have a change of life. This is the man writing. He says, submit yourselves to God. And he's saying, I beseech you by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God which is your most reasonable act of worship. And he went on to say, and do not be conformed. Because you see, spiritual formation is about being conformed to the image of Christ. And he says, do not be conformed to the standards of this world. And he says, do not let the world press you into its form. So there could be a formation there, but a negative formation. Do not let the world press you into its mold. Rather, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that in doing so, you will be able to understand what is. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When you understand that 
this kind of position was triggered by what happened on the Damascus Road. You understand that Paul qualifies in giving us the first lesson in spiritual formation. His encounter with the Lord. The Lord who is the Spirit on the Damascus Road. May this be your Damascus Road. May this be your day along Paseli Road where you encounter the King of Kings and the Lord of, of, of Lords in Jesus' name. And those of you following us remotely, wherever you are, may the place where you are sitting right now be your place of encounter and where you will experience the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because he means business with your life. Somebody shout hallelujah. So you understand his words. But as we look at Paul's life, we need to progress to a second item. We've looked at the Damascus encounter, Damascus word encounter. Let's look at Ananias encounter. Ananias presents to us a lesson in how spiritual assignments are received by believers. That's what Ananias presents to us. A lesson in or on how spiritual assignments are received by believers. We've been praying for these seven days. So far we've got seven days to go. I can assure you that some of you sons and daughters will receive amazing assignments from the Lord in this time and week uh, these two weeks of praying and fasting in this convocation. Because when you are in prayer, something serious happens. And I want to illustrate these details today as we continue in the teaching of God's word. So come with me to verse number 10 and see how Ananias represents that model of how spiritual assignments are received by God's children. Verse number 10 of Acts 9, the Bible says, In Damascus, there was a disciple. Ah, may it be said in Lusaka, there was a disciple called Frank Dukes. May it be said that in Sulisa Ward, there was a disciple called Frank Dukes. I know your aspirations for Sleaze Award. May God lead you and guide you. This is the word where we are here. This young man wants to represent us. May the Lord be with you. May it be said that in Chipata, Zambia, somewhere, there was a man. Oh, let's say Lundazi, Zambia, a wonderful place. There was a man called Joshua Banda. That's where I come from. May it be said that in Chief Shangelika somewhere there was a man called Hagai Mwene. Chief Mwenda. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because everywhere God has people. So there was a disciple in Damascus named. Ananias. 
the Lord called to him in a vision. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. In a vision. The Lord said, Ananias. Yes, Lord. He answered, in the barn. However you may want to answer the Lord. Mamileza. So if you're one of my cousins from up north, you say, Shaka Panga. Mankangala. However you answer, he is the Lord, the King, the Savior, the Holy One. And when he calls, you must answer today. I said, when he calls, you must answer today on that journey of spiritual formation. Somebody shout hallelujah. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on a straight, on straight street. You think we're the ones naming streets today? The streets were named. On straight street. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. An assignment is delivered in the hands of Ananias as a disciple of the Lord. And I want you to know, beloved, in these moments of prayer, God delivers assignments. This is an assignment I have received this week. This is not some sermon that was put together 10 years ago waiting for this moment. Uh-uh. This is fresh from the throne. This week, as I've been waiting upon him. Because God gives assignments. To his people. So Ananias serves as a, a picture, a model of giving us a lesson on how spiritual assignments are received by believers. These assignments are received when the believer is given to God, when the believer is committed, when the believer is positioned in such a way that they can hear from God, that God will speak and everything else will be, will be drowned and you will hear his voice. Hallelujah. That means, beloved, you've got to be in that place where everything that you need to be doing is clearly labored. Excuse me. I felt something there. It's clearly labored for God. So when God needs to see you, he can see you and he can reach out and assign you. And I want you to look out for those assignments as we are praying. It's 90 minutes here in the house but in those 90 minutes, your entire direction can change. And I encourage you to take the time this week. Fast and pray. Join the rest of the house. Be in God's presence. The third thing that we pick up in regard to Paul's life is that the Lord's instructions that we will shortly see to him here, become a lesson in obedience backed by precision. The Lord's instructions here become a lesson in obedience backed by precision. Let me illustrate. If we go back into verse number 10, look at how 
these instructions to Ananias in order for God to reach Saul are so specific. He is told to go to a specific house, the house of Judas. He's he's told to go to a specific street. That's precision. That's accuracy. He is taught to us for a specific man. Listen, God knows your address. So don't let these, these self-styled prophets who many times pick up your address just by divination cheat you and make you think, oh wow, oh wow, he knows my address. God knows that address. And so people have been so confused. Some of you have run to places. You're looking for something. You're looking for a word. And you're running from place to place. You're going to people whose character you do not know. I want you to know today they are self-styled people who've given themselves titles who really have no character. And many times they will issue what they're considering to be prophecies to people. And they even ask for money. And many people have lost money at the hands of such and scrupulous individuals. But I want you to know that you as a child of God can with certainty, can with precision identify God's voice for your life. You can hear Him speak to you by name. You can hear Him give you an assignment. There can be that level of precision in your life. Child of God, cut out the dross. Cut out this cheap stuff of life. What is life when Christ is not at the center? What is life when you're living it for yourself and for your so-called followers? My followers, who are these people? They are blind just like you are becoming blind. Open your eyes. God is looking for people that will open up. We can hear him with precision. We can hear him with precision. He knows your name. He knows your address. He knows your house. He knows your future. He knows your aspirations. He will not let you down. But it doesn't just happen, beloved. Comes like... Excuse me. Excuse me. That's why I shouldn't come there anymore. I'm safe here. So, so you're happy it didn't happen there. All right. He cares for you. He cares for you. He will look after you. So don't be so desperate. My guidance to you, if you don't know these people, keep away from them. So-called prophets. God can make you prophetic enough that you hear a word and you could have a word for someone else. Don't be so desperate. God knows his disciples. I saw some story where a number of traditional leaders while meeting with uh, our Honorable Minister of National Guidance and Religious Affairs were appealing to the Honorable Minister to see if they could check out these people who are preaching wrong, wrong doctrine. It's not, that's not the 
It's not the task of government. Government doesn't know doctrine. They don't understand the word. But I can understand those chiefs maybe are desperate because there are some very notorious people out there. Do you understand? But it is people like you and me who read the word who can do justice to these people by keeping away from them. And where we can, for some of us, when we know who they are, we talk to them. Tell them, stop this, 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 this stuff that's leading people away. God's children must grow in hearing from God, receiving instructions, and learning obedience that is backed by precision. Because the instructions are clear and you know what to do. Is this making sense to someone? Lift up one hand and shout, praise the Lord. So let me illustrate further. What you see next is that in verse 10 and 11, you have a calling. Ananias is called. When you have a calling, then you add an assignment, you have a mandate, a spiritual mandate. So God calls, blesses an assignment, you have a spiritual mandate. That's why we do what we do. We don't do these things just because we are now in a position where I'm called bishop. No, before I was a bishop, I was called. Bishop's office is something that comes in the process of time as we assume responsibility. But I am a Christian called by God to minister his word. With or without a title, I have an assignment and a function. That calling plus the assignment becomes a spiritual mandate so that whatever role we occupy in life, when your mandate is clear, that role simply enables you to fulfill the mandate. Is everybody hearing me? So, as a child of God, you need to understand your mandate. When you become the director general of some huge authority in Zambia, it doesn't change you. You're still a Christian, except that now you have this big position called Director General of Chingupa Chichi Chimbakaile, Authority of Zambia. That role as Director General of Chimbakaile Authority doesn't take away. In fact, it should now become your task to say, okay, now I'm Director General. How do I carry out my spiritual mandate? But some of you children, the day you get promoted, it's like you disappear from church. Now you have money. Now you can afford to play golf on Sunday morning. God help you. And say, no, no, me. My, my club is playing. No, my team is playing. Not on a Sunday morning. Tell your golf team, Sunday, I'm in church. 
Because it is here where you receive your spiritual mandate. Uh, God's people hearing God's voice. Lift up one hand and shout praise the Lord. So it doesn't matter what role you take up. You could even become president of a nation. Doesn't matter what role you take up. Your spiritual mandate should not be diluted by a role you occupy. The role that you occupy should benefit from your spiritual mandate. So when you are director, when you are accountant general, when you are chakuti, 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 do not wave your position around. Let your spiritual mandate dictate how you use that role. Is this clear? Spiritual formation happens when these things are being observed carefully. Spiritual mandate is always about what you are meant to do for others, not what is meant for you. That's what a spiritual mandate is. Yesterday, in the prayer meeting, uh, Pastor Gladys shared a thought from John 7, verse 37 to 39, regarding the fact that the overflow principle where we're talking about the streams of living water flowing out of us, out of your belly, from within you shall flow rivers or streams of living water. She was indicating to us the fact that the overflow is not just spillage that happens. The cup is disturbed, it's got something, so there's a spillage somewhere. Much more than that. The overflow means that the content that's inside the cup is stirred up and begins to overflow, and it is really meant to be channeled to others. And the more that that is channeled to others, is the more that that overflow will well up. So a spiritual mandate is not about you, it's not about me. A spiritual mandate is about others around you. Because you are given something to carry so that others may benefit. So I can speak like this because... You as a son and daughter don't belong to yourself. You belong to all of us. So we own you. You belong to all of us. Uh, shall I emphasize more? Jesus said, Paul the Apostle himself said, your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, yes. He also said, you are not your own. And then when you read Ephesians 4, it's even more serious. Ephesians 4, and you read from verse 11 all the way up to verse 16, each one of us, uh, like this ligament and each one doing his or its part. And Ephesians 4 from verse 12 onwards, after we've talked about the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the five-foot mystery and so on, is so much about us belonging one to the other. So you can't just talk about my right, my life, my rights, my life, my right. That's why we tell you that this rights issue is an agenda of people who want to dilute your mandate in this life. You belong to all of us. I belong to you. You belong to me. We belong to one another. And that is why you cannot insist on your own interests. Spiritual formation enables you to awaken to that. Just helping somebody here today. Lift up one hand and shout praise the Lord. All right. I want us to wrap up with Paul and quickly turn to Daniel and we'll be done for, for the day. But one more, one more thing regarding Paul the Apostle. A fourth thing to observe regarding Paul the Apostle. 
the Macedonian core in the apostles' life. Is a lesson in prophetic precision. When you go to Acts chapter 16, you're reading at verse number 6. You realize some unusual arrangement there. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Figia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Take note, having been kept by the Holy Spirit. By the Lord. So the Lord restrained them. We'll talk about that. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Verse number nine. During the night, ah, may your night time come. When you can see something from God Almighty. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging, come over to Macedonia and help us. I like verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once. Now, isn't that interesting? After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready. Is that not interesting? Paul saw the vision, a big number, God ready. Because some of you see one vision, ah, you think you are the one who prays. One little vision and you think you know the whole world and you decide to run off. There are people who break away from a local church just because they saw one vision. No, in the local church, ministries ought to flourish. At the church at Antioch, they had pastors, they had evangelists. They had, all of them were there and while they were praying, the Holy Spirit said. Spiritual formation. It's about understanding these principles. So I want us to note, verse 10, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, beloved, some things that are very important here. I want us to take note of them. First in verses 6 to 8, the precision that we see here included a restraining, some kind of a restraining order, so to say, from the Lord. For them. They weren't supposed to go into certain uh, areas. You see, the process of spiritual growth will restrain you from just going off and doing anything you could. You know, with social media, with, with the technology today, we will never know what pages you look at. We will never know. And we don't have to. So who is restraining you? Who's guiding what you watch? What you're spending time on? It's two little, two young people boy and a girl. Maybe you're in a relationship. Maybe you're both believers. But you get tempted. And you begin to go into things that you aren't supposed to. We will never be there. We're not police. We're just bishops called by God. So we won't be there. Who's restraining you? 
When there's a proper process of spiritual formation, the Holy Spirit works to restrain. When you grieve him, he will touch your heart and you'll be restrained. He builds boundaries for you. That's what spiritual formation does. That is why where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So in the same way, there are times when you're seeking the Lord, when the Lord will say, yeah, I know you want this, but no, not yet. Sometimes you say not yet. And as a child of God, you ought to obey and say, yeah, this is where I will end. You must be able to do that. So precision included the Lord restraining them from certain locations. But then later on, the instructions were changed. In verse 9, we observed already that um, they were told, after Paul saw the vision, instructions changed. And observe in verse 10, the promptness with which they responded. They now knew God had said, go into Macedonia. And they moved on into Macedonia. Beloved, there have been many moments in our own personal lives when we have sensed God guide us, give us opportunity to observe. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go much further than this, but let me share this with you. There have been specific moments in life. Everything I've talked about here, these four principles in Paul's life, these are principles we have experienced in our own lives. I can talk about my own personal calling, which came through the scriptures. In Exodus 19 verse 5, where God clearly indicated to me that I was now at a place where I must obey and respond to him. I can remember with precision some things being told to us ahead of time. Those of you who came with us to Ethiopia last year, no, early this year, when we did Africa Arise, I shared an experience that happened in May 8, 1988, at 2 a.m. And since then, a number of things happened on May 8 at 2 a.m. But on May 8 at 2 a.m., I was kneeling down in a small apartment in a location called The Furs in, um, um, in Kirkland, Washington, USA. My wife and I were studying at that time. And as I was kneeling down and praying, the Lord brought a vision on the wall. I saw the map of Africa and his a blood-stained hand, of course, which in this case identified was uh, indicating this is the Lord. A blood-stained hand covering the face of Africa and the thumb portion of it on the horn of Africa. And then the Lord began to show me faces of people. Some people I didn't know, some I recognized. I remember telling my wife after... When, when, when I woke her up later, I remember explaining to her one of those faces I had seen at that time was the late uh, Bishop Skybander. He was among those faces. And there was just a number of things that the Lord was saying. But at that moment, the message was so clear. God calling us to the nations, to the missions, to do the kind of stuff that we are doing today. 
But there was a specific word regarding Ethiopia and some things we would do there. At that time, it was so remote. Never thought at all that it would ever happen. But you see, this year as we were sitting in Africa Rise, in Ethiopia, the Lord reminded me, and I couldn't avoid the tears. The Lord reminded me that this was the moment. And when I look back now at the journey of how I met Dr. Beta, who is now essentially my something no one would have designed. When I look back at the journey of how I met Dr. Better, how we were in a meeting for children, a meeting that was discussing ministry to children in, in New York. I had never met Dr. Better. He spoke. We were sitting at the back of this large hall in a Korean Assembly of God church in New York. The man spoke. We identified with the word. I told my wife, we've got to talk to this man. We met him in the hallway, exchanged cards, and said, let's be in touch. Then he said, oh, there's a conference we run. Maybe I'll write to you about it. A short while later, while I was in Oxford, I got an email, and he invited us to that conference. And we began the journey 10 years ago of going to Africa Rise. I went there not as a speaker, but I sensed there was a heart. There was something real about this man. I went there and sat in the conference, didn't speak. I was just there as a visitor. Before too long, God connected our hearts. We began to dream about Africa together. The rest is history. We now have a memorandum of understanding with the African Union. For nine years now, we've been holding a prayer breakfast for heads of states at the African Union on the morning when they have their prayer, when they have their, their summit. And a number of things have been happening. Nations upon nations have been coming. Now, Dr. Beta, myself, and uh, uh, Dr. Oginde, um, and uh, Professor Dela, we are among a team now of apostolic leaders that are planning many things for Africa. We have seen God bring a convergence of leaders together in that place. Sometimes of 40 nations gathering together. But you see, it goes back because I remember God showing me and speaking a word over my life, over our lives and our connection to Ethiopia. The rest is history. Now I even have a daughter-in-law from Ethiopia. I mean, who could ever dream that? The following year, on the 8th of May, the Lord spoke again. In 1994, on the 8th of May, at 2 a.m., the Lord showed me a similar vision on the wall. And that vision was about this church here and our coming to pastor it. I don't have time to tell you that history. I'm just telling you that when I talk about precision in the life of the Apostle Paul, it is something we have lived with, something we have experienced. This is what gives us the courage, the capacity, the ability, the strength, the boldness to speak into the lives of nations. It's not just because of some position we have received. There is a spiritual mandate. There is a calling. There is a clarity. There is an understanding of precision. The clarity of God. Of obedience to his word. Backed by precision. We'll look at Daniel when there is time. For today, we're okay with just Paul. And let's close right here. 
And so I'm calling you, beloved, today to a place of desiring spiritual formation, beginning to desire to spend time in the presence of God in prayer. Spiritual precision is achieved through prayer. And I've told you already, and let me review it for you. Spiritual formation is a process of spiritual growth and maturity in Christ. The word formation, I've said, is understood as an organic, lifelong, holistic um, process involving right thinking, right behaviors, right feelings of individuals and communities. The process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and for the sake of others. Maybe with that in mind, since we are ending only with Paul, we need to revisit 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 right there so we can wrap it up nicely. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians and let's just wrap it up nicely there. We'll come back to Daniel. That will, this was not meant to have part two, but well, we'll have a part two, uh, which was to deal with Daniel. And, and we haven't had time for that today. All right. So observe with me. Verse number seven of 2 Corinthians as we are, as we are wrapping up here. Now, if the ministry that brought death was engraved on letters of stone um, and it came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit, capital S, be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious. How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory. Now, in comparison with the surpassing glory, and if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. We are not like Moses who put on a mask, a veil. Who put on a mask? This was pre-coronavirus. Who put on a mask over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ. Ah, say it with me. One, two, three. Only in Christ is it taken away. So the veil has been removed. The veil has been removed from your faces, from our faces. Even to this day, it is read a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, come again with me. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord, Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit. 
Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. May freedom be your portion today. May freedom be your portion today. May freedom, liberty be your portion today. In Jesus' name. And we, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory. Are being transformed into His likeness. We're being spiritually formed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the spirit and the Lord is the spirit who is right here in our midst. God bless you beloved. I want to call you this week to moments of spiritual formation in his presence. I could tell you story upon story from our personal lives. I've got more to come and tell you when we deal with Daniel. Amazing stuff has happened. But hey, that's not all. Amazing stuff will happen in your life. This week, amazing stuff will take place in your lives this week. Amazing stuff, hear me. Amazing stuff will take place this week. I call the church to that place of prayer. It's a new season. It's a new environment. It is a new day. New songs will be born. New horizons will be opened. New ground will be broken. Breakthroughs are on the way. God is on the move because His time has been declared. And His people must heed the call. Please come.